Today's teaching text is Luke 4, 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Just to reemphasize a couple of things uh, Michael mentioned, uh, we say this a lot, uh, a a huge part of the life of our church and certainly the life of what Christ has called us to as a community takes place outside of this uh, this auditorium. And so um, ParentWell, uh, it's coming up, is certainly going to be an an equipping directly for people who are in the process of parenting, but it also uh, relates more broadly to all of our human stories. Adam Young, who is coming in as the keynote speaker, um, has, has been a pastor, has a thriving therapy practice out in Colorado, and one of the most um, uh, key teachings that he has that he's bringing for ParentWell is uh, just outlining some of the primary needs that we have from our parents. Um, he calls them the big six. It's going to be one of the sessions that he covers in the ParentWell conferences. What are the, the six big things that you need from your parents um, as, you're, as you're coming up? So, of course, that's going to relate if you're trying to, to uh, provide that for, for, for little ones. But it's also a way to examine your own story and see uh, what did this look like in my life? How, how does God relate to that? Where are the places of, of, of blessing and, and, and invitation and, 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 and courage that were sown in my, in my life at that time? And where are the places that that feel deficient or feel wounded. Uh, so I really want to encourage you to explore the idea of coming to ParentWell, uh, parentwellconference.com. You can uh, get all the information you need, but uh, it's certainly for parents, but it's not just uh, for people who are actively ra- raising children right now. Uh, it's sort of uh, helping connect all of us to our story as sons and daughters of God. The other thing is the Tabernacle Night. Uh, Michael mentioned it. Uh, Greenwood uh, coming up March 6th. Um, some of you guys will remember last year during Lent, we had um, every Sunday night, we had sort of an extended prayer time that was open invite to anyone. Um, and there's just been a, a craving in our, in our church, I don't know another way to put it, for a long time. And some people have been actually uh, holding spaces like this, um, prof- prophetically and full of hope for the rest of us, um, that... that we could just have time to linger in God's presence. We have some time restrictions and that we rent this school on Sunday. So sometimes, you know, it will be right in the flow and it's like, well, we gotta get out of here. We gotta have people pick up their kids and, and we just have to, have to leave. And so to have a space where we can linger in God's presence, uh, we've been talking all of the, the beginning of this year about the ministry of Jesus and 
Um, it's amazing to look at the ministry of Jesus in Jesus' life, but it's also staggering to consider he turns around and says to his disciples, you're going to do these things, and you're going to do greater things that, than, than you've seen me doing. It's like, wait, hang on a minute. Can he really possibly mean that? But whatever it is to participate in the life and ministry of Jesus, um, we, we need practice. It's not like we just are fully formed right from the beginning, and there's a growth process. And so we want to have a space. These tabernacle nights are a place to linger in God's presence. It's also a place place to learn how to pray, to learn how to pray for one another, to learn how God speaks to you, um, to practice the gifts that we might be really comfortable with, like uh, in- encouragement or, 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 or leadership or generosity and, and, and love, those things that, but also some of the things like maybe sharing a prophetic hope with someone or, 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 or God revealing some, you know, something uh, that's going on in your heart in a particular way or praying for healing like we were talking about last week. Some things that you may be like, ah, that feels a little strange to me. Well, this is like, think of these tabernacle nights like a spiritual laboratory where you can come in a totally safe environment and practice um, being in the presence of God and then sharing the things God gives to you, uh, to, to other people. We, we are, uh, you know, you've heard the phrase, we are blessed to be a blessing and the things that we receive from God, we, we, we pass on in this sort of expression of love, the kingdom of God moving along relational lines. So I just wanna encourage you, tgcparkslip.com slash tabernacle if you wanna know more, but there's the basic information. Um, I would love to see as, as, as many of you as can make it out to that. There'll be others uh, coming as well. So. I think that's it. I think that's it. Let's start. Let's start the sermon now. The sermon starts like this. As we begin this morning, I, I want to ask you to consider your own heart for just a second, to consider your own mind, and um, how do you handle unfulfillment? Wah, wah. <laughs> just think about your life for a moment. Uh, do you have a dream that has remained unfulfilled. All right, we live in a city of, of dreamers. Some of you have come to this city to fulfill a dream. Some of you, you, you didn't, it didn't, wasn't a blink in your mind till you could land right on what your, what your dream is and, and, and whether it's unfulfilled. And it's across the spectrum. Maybe it's a relationship that you're longing for. Maybe it's an accomplishment that seems critical to you in your life. Maybe it's a life stage that you hope to reach at some point. Uh, Maybe it's a place in your career. Maybe it's an attributes of your character that you you hope will be true one day. Maybe it's a place that you hope to see or to visit. But what, what does it feel like to have a dream in our heart or a dream in our mind or a dream in our life that has, has as of yet been unfulfilled? I think it can kind of cut both ways. On, on one level, the things that you're striving for can be a fuel for your hope. They sort of stir you on that more is possible and press you out to, to expand your comfort zone and to move, move out, to, to pursue something that's, that's, that's grand like that. But they also, we have to admit, they also can carry immense pain um, that we can experience the weight of disappointment, especially if we're like, I have no idea how to get from where I am to what my dream is. Or I feel like the time has passed for me to be able to get from where I am to where my dream is. Or I have no idea where to get the resources uh, you know, in myself or out in the world to, to move forward in the next step for my dream. And so if you feel paralyzed in that, it can be tremendously disappointing. It can even be agonizing. My, 
Uh, my dad was a, a, a huge uh, dreamer of, of, of a person. Um, he, he was always sort of talking about um, the things that he wanted to be true of his life. And um, he skipped over some really important steps uh, along the way. He, he like sort of lamented a lot in his life that he had not taken his education seriously when he was a kid. And he felt like he was always kind of, kind of climbing uphill. And so... Uh, <laughs> I'll probably be weeping and unpacking this in the Parent Well Conference as the guy unpacks the six needs or whatever this is. But um, he was very much like, do as I say, not as I do kind of dad in certain ways. And so he would, he would be like very intense that I would not make the same, my sister and I would not make the same mistakes that he had made because he had these passionate dreams and he saw how his own life had been limited and the capacity to, to fulfill some of those dreams because of, of steps he had made early on in life. And it sort of like, it, it plagued him. And I think about like, the intensity of how much he, he, he dreamt for his own life and for his own kids, and he had no idea how short his time was gonna be. And I'm not meaning for the whole beginning of this sermon to be such a downer, but like, he had no idea, right? He had no idea how, how many days he was gonna have. He ends up passing at 50, um, very, very unexpectedly. And I was looking in my office, and I, I've mentioned this before, but I found one of his business cards um, recently, and the information on the front is one thing. It's like a pretty ugly card, quite honestly. I think this was designed in the early 90s. This is before minimalism had really taken hold. So it's everything, everything is there. And, and on the back, it's like a novel. Like you flip it over and he has the longest quote you've ever seen by Teddy Roosevelt. This is on every single one of his business cards. And it's more information on the back than it's on the front. It's just like, wow, this is a lot of stuff to look at. Um, but you may have heard this, this Roosevelt quote. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's important to me, maybe because it was important to him, but it's an interesting one. He says, uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man, we're gonna read man, woman, person here in this quote, but not the, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done the better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by the dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I like that because my... my my father, who was a dreamer, had it, had it stamped on the back of his business card, and even if it was ugly, it certainly meant something. It meant he, he kind of had this sense. He was always striving for something beyond himself. And, uh, and that's the idea that we're getting at. What, what, what is a, a dream? What is the thing that's calling you out beyond your current reality into something else? We know what that feels like. Some of us know what that feels like personally. But we also need to consider it for just a second on a larger scale. Right? As a nation, we have, we have some dreams, right? Uh, we're ramping up for an election and uh, someone trying to get elected is going to tap into what they consider like the dreams of the um, American story, and, right? And they're gonna reach out to their constituencies to try to, try to stir up, um, and even like mentioning it. Doesn't like the tension in the room just go just a tick higher? It's like, oh, what's he gonna say? Uh, <laughs> February is a month where we commemorate and celebrate uh, black history, and yet, Something as large and essential as Dr. King's dream is still something that we have to keep in front of us. Obviously, way more than, than one month a year. It's something that we have to continually return to because we know we're not there yet. 
that, that we would truly love and care for one another because we are all made in the image of God. Think about the power of, of that prophetic call, that, that King's dream was a return to acknowledging the Imago Dei in every single human being. That we could repent as a nation and then also bear the fruit of repentance, that it wouldn't be in words, but that we could bear the, ref- the fruit of repentance for our nation's sins of slavery and segregation. That, that we would not evaluate one another by the color of our skin, but the content of our character, right? You hear those words and um, something rings out in your spirit, right? Like this is a dream, this is something worth striving for. And, and we know that like the work that King, you know, spearheaded and helped to lead has brought us through some crucial moments, but no one would, 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 would say that we're there yet, right? We still have a long way to go. More to be fulfilled. I bring this up because uh, Jesus steps onto the scene in Israel in the first century, and Israel had an unfulfilled dream, <laughs> Israel had an unfulfilled dream, and, and you may know of, of some of the contours of, of, the, of their unfulfilled dream. They were occupied by Rome at the time. There were promises that had been made to Abraham and to their ancestors that weren't being fulfilled. But there were other, there were other nuances to the dream God had for Israel that were unfulfilled that we, that we, might, that we might ignore. Um, or we, may, we just may not have come across it. If you're, do, if you're doing a Bible, read the Bible in a year plan, right? And some of you are like, that was my resolution in January, and it's February now, so I'm on the something else. Thank you very much. Um, I get that. I, I, I feel that. But I, I want to tell you what claims more victims in read the Bible in a year plans than any other. And it's Leviticus or the genealogies and numbers, right? You just get to that and you're like, this, this just, I just literally cannot stay awake. It's lunchtime and I'm, I'm asleep in my food here. Um, and, and, and so reading the law and like, what is this? What on earth is this about? And it's like very difficult to, to grasp some of like, why is this important in the heart of God? And it's like, hang on a minute. Okay, we're talking about a nomadic tribe traveling through the wilderness. They have to survive by, and they're constantly camping. There are certain things that have to be done with like human waste that like, do I really need to read about what you did with the waste in the camp? Like, I, I don't know, but like in the, in the civil and ceremonial law of Israel, there's tons of regulations that are connected to being a nomadic tribe traveling through the wilderness in order to just stay alive. Eat this food, don't eat this food. And, 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 and th- those are really important. But there are other things in, in Leviticus that I, if you've fallen asleep and missed it, that are really crucial to the heart of God. And one of those, you may have heard just by the name, even if you're not really familiar with the contours of of God's heart behind it, it's this idea of jubilee. And Leviticus 25 is a description of the year of jubilee. And I'm just gonna read it to you uh, if you haven't made it there in your Bible in a year plan or you've literally never cracked Leviticus, which, totally understandable. Count off seven Sabbath years, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount, so many sevens, amount to a, a, a period of 49 years. Then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for for you, do not sow or reap. Um, do not sow and do not reap. What grows of itself, or harvest the untended vines, for it is a jubilee, and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is tra- taken directly from the fields. 
the year of Jubilee, a dream in the heart of God that he sows in the nation of Israel. It is a dream of grace. It is a, a dream of liberty. It is a dream of restoration. Uh, it is a dream of mercy and justice. Uh, it is a dream connected to um, the mercy and grace of God to one day step in and confront death. The, the day of atonement, uh, Yom Kippur was a day er, every year where Israel remembered that to part ways with God, which is essentially what sin is, and to say we're going to go our own way, brought death into the world and death into their relationships, death of trust and death of intimacy and literal physical death, spiritual on every level. De and so Yom Kippur was a time to remember, right, that, that, that a, la a, a lamb was, was, was given for the remission of sins, like so bizarre, so like... Uh, like tribal and weird to us, but God was working with them with, in, inside of a system that made, made sense that when, when you part ways with me, death comes into the story. So on the day of atonement, they remember what, what mercy costs. And then one day, Messiah is going to step in and become that atonement for them. But it, it, connected to the heart of, heart of atonement is this idea of jubilee that God had sown into Israel's story. I've already said uh, grace, liberty, restoration, mercy, and justice. It's also a dream to remind them that what they had received from God was from God and was still God's. That God was the source of their trust and confidence, not the, the, their possessions, right? This is a mistake sometimes that we, all, all of us can make, is that we, we begin to mistake something God has given us for God himself, right? We, we start to replace our utter confidence confidence not in the giver but in the gift itself and, and Israel was, was, was prone to do that we see that showing up in their story and this year of jubilee was a reminder like hey let go of, of having confidence in in the gift and remember that Yahweh is the giver and 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 return to return to your land and and let people free from 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 debts that are crippling them it's a dream to recall the image of God in their neighbors and their countrymen no matter how life was working out for them and it was an inspiring dream. It was a challenging dream. And Israel never kept it. They never kept the Jubilee. There was always some reason, some loophole for why it wasn't the time. Not all the tribes are in the land yet. Um, or uh, there was a debate about when the, couldn't you imagine, like, we're gonna have this amazing year of freedom and joy and mercy and grace, but we're not sure exactly when we're supposed to start counting, so we're not gonna do it. There was, there was like, all the normal human things crept in, right? The greed associated with like, uh, God is saying, I want you to essentially treat the ownership of this land like a lease because I've given it to you and you're stewarding it. The Hebrew uh, uh, understanding of being a shomar is being a steward, being one who tends for the one who's given it to you. And yet they were like, no, this is mine now. And as soon as, as, soon as that sort of mentality got in, this is mine now and it's for me and it's for, for me only, they, they moved further away from the heart of Jubilee and they were unwilling to keep it. So, However great this dream God had for them was, they were unwilling to keep the year of Jubilee. They found loopholes for a while. It was never the right time to enact this radical vision. The history is, quite frankly, not uncomplicated. If you want to have, like, a, 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 get a headache, um, just, like, Google the year of Jubilee and then just start doing a bunch of reading about it because it's really interesting. Um, it's heartbreaking on some levels, but it's not an uncomplicated history. And yet we can say there was never a record that Israel kept the Jubilee. They had a failure in this dream God had given them. 
And here's the thing. When Yahweh was the most prophetically challenging to Israel, it was when they began to think that their success was of their own making. (laughs) They began to forget that everything that they had received was a gift from God, and they began to simply take credit for the the good things that they had and and to act as if they they were not a gift of grace. When they forgot the poor, or when they forgot their neighbor, or when they forgot God, and they tried to go back to just being like, like the other nations around them. That is when God said, you're failing at your, your, the identity that I've given you. They were, they, were, they were dropping their God-given identity and settling for something else. And then a prophet would rise up. Or, or if you're reading in the Bible and you've come to Judges, the Judges cycle is about that. Israel forgets who they are. God raises up a judge to come and step in and remind them who they are and call them, call them back. Isaiah 61 is just such a prophetic call. It is just such a prophetic promise. So, I want you to hold that in your mind for just a second, and we're gonna come back to Luke and come back to where we've been. Uh, for, for, for the last eight weeks, this is the eighth week of the season of Epiphany, we've been looking at these 16 verses and a few beyond in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Today we're gonna wrap this up You may be grateful, like we've had this teaching text a lot. You may have memorized it by now. Um, We're gonna wrap this up because Lent begins Wednesday. We're gonna prepare for a new series in in the season of Lent. But um, before we do, let's just remember where we've been. The story is relatively simple. You don't have to stretch to remember the details, right? Jesus has come back to his hometown where he'd been brought up. Luke uh, has made a crucial point to not let us miss that whatever Jesus is doing, he is doing in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that a lot in this series. If you wanna go back and you've missed part of it, go back and listen to the the sermon on the power of the Spirit that that, uh, undergirds everything that's happening here. He goes to worship with his family, friends, and neighbors, right? These are the people who who know him, right? And, And that's really, important. These are the people who know him, who recognize him, who've who've lived with him, right? We know it's one thing to project a certain image um, to people who only see a few snapshots of your life, right? We we do that with with our our friends online who only see like a, a filtered version of our life, but these are the people who would have known Jesus and his family in an intimate way. This is beyond just like what his stated ideals were. This is the people who would have known what his life actually looked like, and that's the most challenging place, of course, um, to make claims about what you're gonna be about, And in that setting, Jesus sort of gives the manifesto for his ministry. So he's at regular worship. He and his community are seeking to be formed by the words of God. Jesus is given this this sort of normal responsibility that would have taken place in a synagogue service of reading from one of the prophets. It says that he specifically found the place from Isaiah 61, which in the NIV, and this wouldn't have been true uh, in, in the scroll Jesus is unrolling, but the title of that is The Year of the Lord's Favor in Isaiah 61. And he, he, he picks up Isaiah 61 and he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Beautiful, powerful, inspiring list <laughs> from a critical moment in Israel's history, a critical moment in their hope, a time of turmoil, a time of exile, a time when the kingdom was divided. And after he he reads this, right, and his 
He's drawing his reader's attention and our attention to the, the, the parameters of what the kingdom of God looks like. Here's some placeholders, some markers, some tent stakes that you can know inside of these is where you find the kingdom of God. And what does it look like? We've been saying it every week. Salvation is proclaimed. Freedom is experienced. Healing is known. Mercy is expressed. Love and favor are poured out. This is what God's promised activity looks like. I hope as you, as you go away from, from these eight weeks in this passage, when you think of like what, what's God about in the world, that you'll remember these are the parameters. This is the resolutions of God as he shows up to live in our midst and show us what the kingdom of God is like and invite us in. And then the time comes for Jesus to give a sermon, to give a comment on this passage, and he gives a remarkably short sermon. We could long for this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Amen, benediction. It's very drop the mikey of Jesus. This incredible list of love, this, this like parameters of God's activity as he brings the kingdom, Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of that. And then when you look at this passage, you understand this is the ministry of Jesus. These are his resolutions. These are his aims. These are his claims. He's claiming to embody so Jesus is claiming to embody salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor. Not merely as spiritual ideas, not merely as one-off occurrences. These are essential to what he has come for, and they are found in him. Like Whatever Jesus mysteriously means when he's like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It means that I'm not just pointing you to a list of, of religious principles. I'm inviting you to know a person. The kingdom of God always moves along relational lines because the heart of God is relational. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Yahweh, one God, and yet somehow has community in his very midst. Is it weird? A little bit. He's other, he's holy, he's different, and yet in the very nature of God is love, and this extends how along, you can't love without someone else, Right? extends along relational lines. And then we come to this last statement, right? We track Jesus' ministry and we see these things showing up. Love and salvation, freedom, healing, love. And this last one in the list, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I don't know how that hits your ears. To me, it, it like raised some questions. Even as I was looking through the list, preparing to teach, I was like, you know, like, recovery of sight to the blind, Got it. Like, I, at least I, I, not saying, like, I have any idea, but, like, I know what that's about, you know? Proclaiming the good news to people in need. That one seems, you know, straightforward, that God is offering salvation. And, and, and being aware of our need is, is, is an important part of that reality. Pro, proclaim the Lord's favor. What on earth, what is the Lord's favor? I'm reading the Harry Potter books with my kids right now. I'm very relevant, I want you all to know that. Um, it's important you know that I'm really up to speed on things. Um, don't hate, okay, I missed, I missed them when they came out. Like I was too old or something when they first came out and maybe you got them and you're better than me and that's fine. Um, 
I watch the movies first, I'm sorry, years ago, but I have forgotten them. It's one of the blissful things God made me with an incredible inward forgetter. I can just like, I do not remember anything about this movie, like two scenes or something. So anyway, we started out like on vacation just listening to the books on tape in the car, and now we're down to the end, and there's one book seven in our house, and Alice and I are fighting each other for it, and like stealing it and running to the bathroom and like reading a few pages and like a little irritated if the person's a chapter ahead of us, that's where we are right now. Please, in the mercy and kindness of God, no spoilers about how this thing ends. But in book six, and this is not a spoiler, and I'm sorry to be on Harry Potter so long here, but uh, this is not a spoiler, but there's an incident where Harry is given a good luck potion. And I'm not, like, I don't have any theology about that at all, okay? Back off about wizards and boycotting Harry Potter and everything. I grew up Southern Baptist. I can go there, okay? Chill. Um, But uh, (laughs) Harry gets given this potion, and it's called, I had to ask a Harry Potter expert, um, Felix Felicius? No, No. okay, say it again. Felix Felicis. Felix Felicis, okay, well, I feel like that's sort of a pronunciation thing, but whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Felix Felicis, it's one day of good luck, and I said all that about Harry Potter to say that's how I kind of think about the favor of God. Basically, like, the favor of God is something you can't necessarily count on, but every now and then, maybe for, like, the best Christians among us, it'll be, like, wind in your Christian sails. Like, it's, it's, it's you know, Jesus helping you along for 24 hours or for one month, everything you try really works out. And that's sort of how I thought about the favor of God. The favor of God means my plans will be accomplished. And I, sadly... I don't think that's what it is. Sadly, I don't think that, um, that that's the favor of God because, well, lots of reasons. But maybe you felt that to some degree. It's like, God, could you just make this a little easier? Like, I just, okay, I know, like, ultimately, like, your will be done, but could you help me on this one thing, like, make it actually just happen? Don't you feel that way sometimes when you pray? Like, I wish I had an elixir I could drink for one day and then God would have to do, it's like genie style, have to do what I ask. But what about a year of the Lord's favor? That's what trips me up here. Like, I I don't think that my... uh, assumptions and associations with what the Lord's favor is are, 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 were full, have been fully formed, but also what is it talking about a year of the Lord's favor? How do we know when it is? How do we know that it hasn't already passed? Right, somebody came up to me at the beginning of 2015 and said, I, I've been praying, I think this is the year of the Lord's favor. I'm like, great, I hope we get it in in 2015, but now that's passed, it's like sort of like a little disappointing. I could have used more from 2015 if that was the year of the Lord's favor. Will it come again? Can any... Can any year be the year of the Lord's favor? As I studied, scholars believe the particular phrase that is used in this list of Jesus' ministry and Isaiah's prophecy refers back to the realization of the heart behind this obscure passage in Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom, the year of debts being paid, the year of returning home, the year of grace and mercy and justice, the year of remembering that everything we've received, we've received from God, and so we can be radically generous to our neighbors and to the nations beyond us, even, could we say, to our enemy. 
that whatever the year of the Lord's favor is, it's, it's, it's a reference back to the year of Jubilee, this year of freedom and grace. And even though Israel had found reasons not to keep the Jubilee, it was still something important to the heart of God. So even if we forget to keep the spirit of Jubilee in our midst, it is still something important to the heart of God. And Messiah is coming to show us what God is like in the world. What are the things God cares about? Salvation and freedom and healing and mercy and and, and love and favor and Jubilee. We've mentioned that Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61, right? We've said that many, many times. And I think a good guide, something to remember, when you hear something from the Hebrew scriptures quoted in the New Testament, just as like a Bible study tool, you need to think not just of the exact words that are shared in that quotation, but that the writer has in mind the entire context of what's being said in the original quotation. So sometimes that is intentionally to differ from what you would expect in that original context. Like Jesus, Jesus particularly does, he, he, he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. He doesn't hit the next part, which is the day of vengeance. He doesn't mention that. He just ends on year of the Lord's favor and he's, he keeps the vengeance for himself because he knows ultimately he's gonna step under the waterfall of that on our behalf. Like he's gonna take the full consequences of the brokenness of the world on the cross. But what he's offering to us is this jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor. So, right, you and I get that in, in other contexts. Like if I say four score and seven years ago, right, you think about Gettysburg and the moment that that speech was given and the context that our nation was in and the context of, uh, of the war and what Lincoln was trying to do. When you hear we the people in order to form a more perfect union, right, our mind goes not just to those words but to what comes after. When you hear the words I have a dream, you think about the whole context of King's speech and, and what he was trying to pull our nation towards, call us towards. And Isaiah 61 is a poem of prophetic promise and in the full version it is packed with images that hearken back to Jubilee, that hearken back to God's care, God's protection, God's promises, the heart of God expressed. Right? Remember what the experiment with Israel was about. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the world. I'm going to work with you in a particular way, like a seed is planted in the ground to grow up. Like the, the, the kingdom of God has a foothold, an anchor place in the world, and it grows from there. He works with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nation of Israel. Say, this is what I'm like in the world. And so when they give up their God-given identity in a particular way, it's significant for God's redemptive purposes in the world. So he calls them back over and over again. Remember, remember, remember who you are. He literally had, he set up parties all through the year for them to remember who they are. Come back to who you are. I want you to look at the images in the rest of Psalm 61. Comfort those who mourn. Give beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit, a spirit of despair, oaks of righteousness, that you would be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Just for a second, that's so close to the first psalm in Israel's prayer book in, in the Psalms, is that you would be like a tree planted by streams of water that draws in its nutrients on a regular basis, that's leaf does not wither, right? that bears its fruit in season, that prospers in the things that it's essentially called to. And here, Isaiah is calling that out to be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor, to rebuild and restore places long devastated, 
to the promise of inheritance and overflowing joy, blessing and provision, not just for Israel, but for outsiders as well. And the, the year of the Lord's favor passage in Isaiah 61 ends like this. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Now what causes the people to freak out at the end of this sermon and try to throw Jesus off a cliff is that he intimates this all nations thing. They're like, we have personal issues. We have a dream unfulfilled right here, right now. I need this thing to happen. Get Rome out of here. Let's get out of the burden of taxation that we're under. Let's live into the promises God made to Abraham. Let's live out the law God, made to, God gave to Moses. Let us be really truly ourselves. And then we'll be getting somewhere and God says, you know what, remember even, at the, even in the time of the prophets, God was blessing the, the nations. And they're like, Argh! And they literally try to kill him. It's such a big deal. Because we want to have our small dream fulfilled and God is constantly saying, look up, please. The dream is bigger. And it's not to diminish, right? The dream they had was real and significant and important. It's not to diminish it. It's just to say there's more. And actually maybe in the fulfillment of this larger thing, this other thing's shape will change a little bit. Maybe it's importance, it's grip on your heart, it's grip on your mind will change. And again, I'm not diminishing it's important. And you are allowed to bring the desires of your heart before God. As a matter of fact, if you don't pray selfish prayers from time to time, my guess is you won't pray at all. So bring what you really find in the vent of your soul and lay it before your heavenly father. But no, there may be a range of concerns God has that goes beyond just that list. And aren't we glad for that? Like I was thinking this week, and I don't know how you imagine God, but I was thinking about my life and if there could be like a big space filled with everyone that I know. And there was a, like we'll say purple, the color purple represented the love I have for those people, right? And how far would it reach, right? And the, like my kids, maybe they're the most purple, Allison, maybe the most purple, like people that are, you know, like friends and family, like, and then you get out to the furthest reaches and it's like a little less, fainter, fainter purple, like what's my reach of love for one person? And then think of God. And if every single person in the world was represented in that space, every single per person being the absolute darkest purple possible, that his royal divine love is available at any given moment to any person. So as soon as you start to think God is about your concerns alone, he's gonna lift your head up and he's gonna point you by the power of the spirit out towards someone else to say, they're purple too. What an amazing thing that God could, like this is something that blows Scout's mind, my daughter. We talk about it all the time as we're praying at the end of the day. She's like, how can God hear me in this bunk? And I'm like, he's right here. He's like, yeah, but he's in heaven. I'm like, yes, and right here. She's like, Pfft. and I'm like, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? God can hear you every time you whisper out to him in prayer or even think in prayer. Like God's touch and reach of love is so profound. It is another reason he is holy and other from us. And yet he's bringing us along in this journey. How are we doing? Okay. The timer says we have one minute and 30 seconds to go. So 
We're gonna cover so much in one minute and 30 seconds, you're not gonna believe it. It's gonna be astonishing. You're gonna be amazed. It's like I've drank in the Harry Potter juice. Um, as you trace the ministry of Jesus, what you see is the hallmarks of Jubilee breaking out everywhere Jesus goes. And I have a bunch of examples of it, but I'm gonna fly through them. Mary Magdalene uh, was a woman who ended up f- following Jesus, maybe even helping to support Jesus' ministry. And, and the account of her life was that she was so overwhelmed in spiritual bondage that it was like her life was not her own anymore. She was controlled and dominated by malignant spiritual forces and, and Christ set her free. But then her life became an anthem of freedom. And this is the way the kingdom works. Like she is set free and then her life becomes an anthem of freedom. And she is one of, when all the other disciples flee, she's standing at the foot of the cross on the day of atonement, crying out for, for, for Jesus, mourning for him, praying for him, present when all the more qualified people had left, even though she was would have been totally looked down upon. Mary Magdalene is an example of the Jubilee. Zacchaeus is another, right? The short guy who hides and he climbs a tree and he's trying to look, at, look for Jesus. But what we know of Zacchaeus' story is that he was a traitor to his people because he was collecting taxes for the occupying force of Rome. And he wasn't just doing his job collecting taxes. He was skimming a massive amount off the top for himself. There was corruption, there was injustice, there was outright thievery. When Jesus calls him out of the tree and visits his house, it's scandalous. But what Jesus does is he brings jubilee to Zacchaeus. The year of the Lord's favor begins when he meets Jesus, and that is a crucial part of this story. John 8 uh, in your Bible, it might have th- this story in, in, uh, in italicies, but in John 8, there's a story of the woman who's caught in adultery, and she's utterly, absolutely caught. According to the law of Moses, according to the law of land, what she had been caught doing, she was supposed to, to have capital punishment, right? She's supposed to die for her mistakes, and the people around her asking Jesus in order to trap him, because if he lets her off, then he's compromising the, the law of Moses, but if he goes forward with the execution, then he's not the, the, the lamb-carrying Birkenstock, loving Jesus that everyone started to think he was. So which is it? What does he say famously, right? Let he who has no sin cast the first stone. And then he says, they walked away the oldest first. <laughs> I love that. Okay, I'm definitely out. Here's my stone. Um, he, he finds a, a way for mercy and truth to cut through that moment and he brings jubilee to this woman, literally on the verge of death and now she's free. And what does he say to her? Took care of that, have a good one? No, he says go and sin no more. Like basically like don't enslave yourself again. Don't believe the lie of these false desires. Don't believe the lie of this thing that has, has, you've allowed to become godlike in your affections other than God. Go and sin no more. Like walk in the freedom that I've given you. I've made you free, now make your life an anthem of freedom. Last one, Peter, after his denial, in the crucial moment of Jesus' life when he needed his friends the most, Peter denies him three times after having a huge mouth about his ability not to do that. And Jesus does one of the most, this like, we just went through it in the seconds course and it like breaks my heart every time. Jesus, like, like a play director, resets the scene of Peter's denial exactly. He resets the scene of Peter's initial call to follow him. And then Peter's flipping out. He's trying to get to Jesus before anybody else so he can have the conversation with him. He can give him his rehearsed speech of why I'm so sorry and I will never. 
And Jesus doesn't let him get through any of that. And he has, has him sit by the charcoal fire, exactly the place where he denied him. And he asks him three times, exactly the number of times he denied him, do you love me? And Peter, more increasingly exasperated, says, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And he restores him and he says, listen, you're still the rock. You're still the one I'm gonna use to build my church. I'm still sending you out. Feed my sheep. And he restores his identity. He restores him fully and completely all the way. But not just what he was in the beginning. Now he's passed through this waste place, this, this place of desperation and denial and doubt and fear. And now he's on the other side of that. And that matters in your experience. <laughs> When we're healed by, we don't just return to the place of innocence. Now we have innocence plus the experience of mercy. That's important. When Jesus shows up in someone's life, it is the year of the Lord's favor. 2015, 2020. This is utterly essential for Jesus' heart for the world. The last thing I wanna do to end this series is remind you of Jesus' famous prayer in John 17. Whatever it means for him to share salvation and freedom and healing and, and mercy and love, it was on his heart right as he was about to be betrayed and go to the cross. And this is what he prays for us, for you. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, so we're included here, that all of them may be one, our unified concern with our brothers and sisters. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, so something close to the heart of the Trinity shared in our midst, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Here is the heart of the God, Yahweh, who cried out jubilee over his people, saying, I am coming to bring it and to share it. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, the relational heart of God crying out, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. The love you have for me may be in them and that I may, myself may be in them. That, that, this is the intimacy, the share, the relationship of the heart of Yahweh's jubilee, but also as it crashes into a life and brings salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor. This is the ministry of Jesus his resolutions, what he's about, what it means for him to proclaim favor over someone. It's not just that every single thing works out. It's that he brings salvation, which is both forgiveness and filling. Everything wrong that you've done or been done to you can be healed and forgiven, and you can be filled with the very spirit of God. Freedom, right? True freedom to not be ensnared by anything in this world but to be filled with the spirit. Healing for those times the brokenness of the world gets into our minds and gets into our body and we need to be healed. Mercy for the times we fail at, at forgetting, we forget our own identity the same way Israel did, the same way the children of God, and sons and daughters of God ha have all throughout time. We forget our true identity and we have to be restored in mercy and then love and favor over all the banner of God's kindness. So, 
Here's the essential question of this series, is the ministry of Jesus has been given to you. Through union with Christ, these things become yours. Now, will you let your life be an anthem of these things? Will you realize that Jesus has, has not just ministered to you, but he has given you his ministry? He's saying, I want you to be one who calls out and offers the gift of salvation, not by yourself, but through me, right? That, that, that believes for and works for and, and prays for freedom in people's lives, that helps untangle the knots, that, that prays for and believes for and works for healing. Of course it's mysterious, and maybe it's different than the church you grew up in, and it feels weird to ask for these, these things for God, for God to do them, and can we always count on them? And there's tons of questions, but that you would be someone who says, no, the ministry of Jesus is a healing ministry, so I'm gonna lay my hands on you and pray and I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna believe God could, God can, God wants to, God will. Love and favor, that I don't have to question, is God for me or against me? The answer is yes in Christ, he is for us. So, will you allow the ministry of Jesus to be your life? Will you allow union with Jesus to shape you that's our question as we enter Lent. We go through the wilderness with Christ, like why on earth? <laughs> it's because it's worth it. Because what's pouring out of him is the kingdom of God. What he's inviting us into is union as sons and daughters, family and co-heirs with Christ. Epiphany, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just want to say thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that even though we grow in fits and starts, that we experience you sometimes in just little bits at a time, uh, that you are, are, are so loving, you're so willing to continue the journey of, of calling us forward and maturing us, growing us. I wanna pray in Jesus' name that everyone who needs to experience the ministry of Jesus this morning, that they would in your kindness. God, and that all of us who are trusting you would open our hands and say, I want to walk in the ministry of Jesus. I pray you would apply your ministry here, Jesus, and I pray you would call us into it. Help us to respond in the specific ways you're calling each of us. In Jesus' name, amen.